This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria Tellez interviews Mike Acker. He is an executive and communication coach, a keynote speaker, and the author of four books, including the best-selling Speak With No Fear, which has appeared on numerous book lists, even getting designated as the number one book on overcoming fear of speaking on Forbes.com. Mike passionately coaches business professionals to lead and speak with confidence. In presentations, he entertains and inspires audiences using stories of growing up as the son to drug smugglers who turned missionaries. He retells and relates lessons learned on how to overcome insecurity and exclusion in a cross-cultural setting. And he unpacks the path from employee to manager to leader. Mike also enjoys rock climbing, wake surfing, skiing, church, building Legos with his son, and going on dates with his wife, Taylor. Mike believes in the power of prayer, exercise, journaling, and real community to counter the stresses of everyday life. Meet Mike on StepsToAdvance.com. Here is the interview with Mike Acker. In your own words, who is Mike Acker? First of all, I'm a husband a father and a son, really that family aspect really defines who I am. That at the end of my life, I'd rather be respected by the people closest to me than by anything that I've done. Yeah, I'm wondering why. Is that something that you learned or this is coming from intuition? You know, when you look at all these incredible people in their life, you you see what they've done, you see what they've done. But some of these people who have done great things, they aren't remembered well by by the people closest to them. And no matter what I leave behind, if I build a pyramid, if I build something incredible, I start some brand new company, I'd rather the people closest to me that I've really influenced walk away saying, he left a legacy in me and I want to be a better person because of him. So the topic of our conversation, the main topic, it might be fear, but going beyond fear. And the title of your book is Speak with no fear. So I guess my first open question, the warm-up question section, is fear. What is your understanding and idea of fear at this time? Right. Fear is this 
emotion, this sensation, this internal thought process. So it's both our emotions and our thoughts that hold us back or prevent us from doing something that we want to do or that we should do or that we're called to do or or that someone is inviting us to do. So whether that's jumping off a cliff into some water or speaking to somebody or asking someone out on a date or applying for a job that's above your skill set, it's a sensation both internal in your mind and in your heart that says you can't do it or you shouldn't do it or there's a reason for you not to do it. And this shows up in all kinds of areas of life, right? So when we're a kid, we might be afraid of, going on a bike without training wheels. And then when we're a teenager, we might be afraid of asking that girl or that guy out on a date. When we're in our 20s, we might be afraid of applying for a job or afraid of of not getting that job. And it's something that's going on in our mind and also something that we're feeling. So fear is very rarely just a sensation that we're feeling. It's not just nervousness. And it's very rarely just in the mind. It's often in both. Right, body and mind. But you're saying that basically starts in the mind. I think it starts at the same time. Like If you look at, because we're so connected as people. So I think of the times where I was a cliff jumper in my 19, <laughs> 18, 19, 20. I'd go find these 20 foot, 30, 40, 50, 60 foot, cliffs and jump into the water. And the moment you get up on the top of that rock and see what's below you, your mind is processing, you might get hurt. Are you crazy? What are you doing? But at the same time, there's this adrenaline rush. This is sensation inside of you that is saying, don't do it. You get a little bit shaky. So it's that connection at the same time. I often wonder if it is possible to become fearless. Only if you are born that way. There are some people who are born without whatever it is. I don't know the physiology of fear, but there are some people who do not know fear. And it's amazing to actually look and read about some of these people and what they do and some of the times the danger that they get into. It's like when you don't have the sense of touch, that the sense of touch is really important. Even even being hurt, if you touch something that's on fire, it causes you to pull your hand away and protect yourself. If you don't have the touch, your hand gets burnt. And so people who have that leprosy, that's what happens. There are people who have that same deal with fear that they should have fear because fear can be a good reaction, right? If I am climbing up and I'm dangerous and I'm afraid of something, it pulls me back from the edge and that's good. The problem is sometimes fear is not good. Sometimes to use the analogy of leprosy, sometimes it feels like our hands in the fire, but really it's just on a warm cup and you're taking your hand away from something good when you should dive in. So you're saying that some people are born without that sense of uh, protection, self-protection and protecting others too. They are carefree in a way. Right. And that's, that's beyond my level of understanding <laughs> and, and psychology <laughs> and such. But I have, just because I was interested, read some articles about this one woman who she had no fear. And as a result of it, it it just caused her to act differently. Right. In a good way or? Well, sometimes she had to use her mind to tell her, you should be afraid in this moment. So it was a skill that she needed to actually practice and cultivate. Right. That's interesting. For most of us, it's quite the opposite. <laughs> right, right. 
even I was going to say, even with my book, so speak with no fear has gone on to surpass my, my fondest wishes for it. It's gone into all kinds of different areas and some schools have picked it up. It's been really interesting and over 350 reviews, mostly positive. But, but when I called it speak with no fear, it's interesting because I actually don't want to people to speak with no fear. I want a little bit of fear, a little bit of nervousness inside of them still. And the reason why is because if you get, so say on a scale of zero to 10, if you get down to zero fear, you're in a dangerous spot. That means you probably don't care enough for the audience or you think too highly of yourself. So get down to a one or a two, that's great because then you're speaking with confidence and you're feeling comfortable, but you, you shouldn't get down to zero. And, and at the same time, you should never be up in the seven, eight, nine, ten. That's where people are shaking and they're nervous and they're they'd rather die than speak. And and obviously, that's one of those areas that I want to de-escalate their emotions. What is the meaning of success to you these days? Uh, success is what you do daily to get where you want to go in life. So I think about my purpose in life. What do I want to leave behind? What is the legacy I want to impart to my to my kids? What is the legacy I want to impart to my friends, my wife, and to, to the people that I work with and interact with and my clients? What do I want to leave behind? Well, success is not when you leave it behind. It's not when I die and leave behind an inheritance or leave behind a message. It's what I do every day along that path. So often we celebrate the moment of success, but not the steps that people take along the way. I love the example of Jeff Bezos, Amazon founder, right? And for years, he worked in this small little basement, not too far away from where I went to college at around the same time. And so I could have just dropped by and said hi. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But he was sending out books from his basement, losing money, and yet he had this long-term plan. So what was success? Well, we celebrate the success that Amazon is, this master, huge organization, but really, it was success when he showed up every day. So sometimes, so when I go to the gym, it, it my success is not maxing out and really doing everything that that I would like to do in that moment. My success is really showing up every day. I agree, a hundred percent. Yeah, being appreciative and grateful in in the moment. I think this is one of your strategies. You speak of being present. Yeah, and then uh, you inspired me to ask a question about true leadership. What is that like for you? What does it look like when we are in the presence of someone who is a true leader? Right. I, I love what John Maxwell says about leadership, and I've thought about it through all these years, that leadership is influence, nothing more and nothing less. That's a quote from him. So true leadership is influencing in people in a way that well, at least that you feel is true and that in general is realized as true. So a great leader, an incredible leader was Hitler, but we wouldn't say that that he was true leader because he didn't lead people in a way that anybody would recognize as a good path for people to go on. But, But true leadership is where you are influencing people by your words, by your actions, by your example, by who you are as a person, by what you do as a person in a way that is good and healthy, at least recognized by some standard. Yeah, you speak of purpose, the purpose of your life. You have found that. So I'm wondering when was that moment? Was that a moment that you realized that you had a purpose or this took time, was a process? Well, you know, when you look at the Maslow hierarchy of needs, if you get your bottom needs met, 
you're able to look at these bigger questions in life. So my family actually moved us down to Mexico. and We lived in the outskirts of the city and worked in the outskirts of the city with people who were impoverished. And so they're not really thinking too much about purpose. They're thinking about how to clothe myself, how to feed myself, how to, to get shelter. But when we're fortunate enough to, to have those needs met, we start thinking, what is there more in life? What what can we do? And I think that all of us, whether we're in the lower levels and just trying to make ends meet, or whether we've reached this this higher spot on the on the pyramid, we're all thinking about what am I here for? And you you get that purpose from your values and your upbringing and from your faith system. But all of us need to identify what is it that I want to leave behind. And I love that certain cultures, it was much more about their kids' success than it was about their own success, that their purpose was improving on the life that the kids would have. And so much so that some deified their elders because they're thought of passing down life to them. So what is purpose? From a young age, because my needs were met and because I saw other people whose needs were not met, I was able to ask the question, so what is my purpose? What am I about? And I've thought about that throughout my life. And I studied it in college. And coming from a faith system of believing in Jesus and following him, my purpose was really ultimately derived from that, that I wanted to to leave behind that aspect. So I took different stabs at my at my purpose and wrote down different versions along in life. And, and ultimately, really crafting a mission statement for who I am and for what I want to do. Um, but I... When, whether whether you're starting or older, I think purpose is this constant change. There's a different, there's maybe a larger purpose, a larger umbrella, and then smaller um, umbrellas underneath it, and then even smaller umbrellas underneath that. So you might have this large purpose for your entire life, you know, your zero to 90. But when you're a parent of a, a two-year-old, your purpose gets very specific. And and when you're a teenager, a parent of a teenager, your par- your purpose gets very specific. What do you think is the purpose of the human experience as a whole? Yeah, so I come from a, the faith background of Christianity, right? So Rick Warren wrote a book that really influenced me when I was probably about 20. And it went on to be the, the best-selling book for, I don't know, decades and probably is still one of the top 10 best-selling books out there. And in it, he calls the purpose-driven life. So he walks through five purposes. And I really walked through, and I don't think I could make it any better. So one of them is community, that we're made for the social interaction of being known and knowing others. Then we're we're meant to grow. So in, in his paradigm, in my paradigm, that would be to, to grow more like Jesus. But really, even if you were to go outside of the faith tradition of Christianity, to grow as a human, to to improve who you are, to take the next step for yourself. So the third one would be to serve, that we are not meant to just be after ourselves, but we're actually created to serve other people. So right now we just get got hit by Sally, the hurricane that went by. And so cool to see people out there helping others out and not just thinking about what's in it for them. So grow, serve, community. He identifies worship as one of them. And even outside of the Christian paradigm to recognize something bigger than yourself. So for someone who may not believe in a God to recognize even the universe is something bigger than than them or humanity. But we need something bigger than ourselves. Like um, 
Alcoholics Anonymous, you need a higher power. You need something more. For me, I do believe that's God. And so worship is that recognition, that reverence of that. And then last one is directing people over to and encouraging them and showing them your way of thinking to encourage them, to evangelize them, to help them see a bigger purpose for their own life. So I love that five part. <laughs> and and I could see why it resonated with people because we're wondering what is life about? <laughs> right. right. Here he comes and says, here's five things that your life is about. You speak of God. So I have to ask you this question. What, where, and who is God to you? I got to back up. My dad was a drug dealer and my mom was a witch. So they were, my dad was completely agnostic, just saying that you cannot know if there's a God or not. And my mom was more of a new age witch and she practiced incantations and transcendental meditation and would have described herself as a witch. So then they had an encounter with who the Bible would say is the God of the universe, the creator of the universe. And they both had this different encounters, six months apart from each other, really feeling like Jesus was God incarnate, come to to show humanity who, who God was. And they had this incredible experience. My dad was walking in a parking lot and had a conversation. And to this day, he's like, I am pretty darn sure that I heard God speak out loud. And and to understand that my dad was a complete drug smuggler with five yachts and five planes and running a good operation, it was a pretty big deal. Like all his friends were like, "What? You're what? You're you're a Christian now?" And my mom was similar. Everybody thought she was nuts. So they then had this complete transformation. Dove into the Bible and they really explored who is God, and they raised me up in this faith tradition that I embraced at my own when I was seventeen. So who is God? In this tradition, in the faith tradition, as I look at it and what the Bible says, that he is the creator, the the source of being. He reveals himself as I am. So he is who is. He is being and existence itself. All life derives from him and has its place in him and its purpose in him. So that's how I would identify who God is. I love your answer, but I have to ask you that other question about where. Where do you think God is? Yeah, I I love what the Bible says, in him we move and have our being. And I love that, that God is not this removed from us, that he's closer than we could possibly imagine. He, one person said that the reason why God whispers is because he's so close. Mm. I thought, that's great. We don't hear God shout out to us, but if we quiet ourselves and we listen, he's whispering because he's so close to us. So in him, we move and have our being. I was talking to one person one time, and we were just philosophizing about what uh, the definition of hell is. And he said, you know, Mike, I think that hell is the one place where God removes his, his presence. I thought, that's really interesting. Anyway, that's a whole different direction. <laughs> True. <laughs> but but uh, it is an interesting thought. Yeah, I love that. I love all these thoughts that you um, came across, you have uh, learned from other people. That's beautiful. Maybe that's why you talk about leaving this legacy, because you know how much we can influence one another and how much we can learn from each other. Yeah, absolutely. The legacy that my parents have given to me is just huge. It's they they made some choices that 
that changed my, the direction of my life. My, my sister and I have, have at times amused what life would have been like had our parents not had this radical conversion. And the reality is there's no way my parents' marriage would have survived. We would have been in a really dysfunctional environment growing up. The people that my parents were around were by no means good influences in the long run. And I mean, they were hanging out at (laughs) all kinds of weird places. So we've thought about how that has changed the legacy they've given us. And then what they taught us and what they learned and then taught us really became something that we teach our kids. So my, my, my sister now has a 22 year old and just to see this beautiful young woman do incredible things going on into, to med school right now and, Really, that's the legacy that my parents left. They made some choices that changed what all of us received. 2020, we have had, we still have lots of challenges. So my question is, do you see a better future, new reality after all these challenges that we have been through or going through? Oh, wow. I think there's going to be a lot of loss. And I think there's going to be a lot of gain. And a lot of it is how we lean into this moment, that every time that there's something major like this, you can lean in or you can lean out because it's hard and you'll lose. And so even looking at some companies that were amazing, doing well beforehand, and they have not known what to do during the pandemic, and and now they're closing. And I get it. It's hard. Meanwhile, there's many that are thriving and who are leaning in going, okay, this is the new reality. I'm not going to try to regain what seems to be lost, but I'm going to try to do something new. And there's going to be, there's going to be people who come out of this that are just fantastic and, and better positioned. There's going to be people who are going to lose a lot out of this, but ultimately I think there's going to be both. And I think that's the answer for so much that there's going to be good and there's going to be bad. Almost out of every choice that we make, there's there's some loss and there's some gain. When I wake up in the morning to go work out, I lose that sleep, but I gain the muscle, right? <laughs> and there's always some loss, whether it's a good loss or bad loss. There's always some loss and there's always some some gain. So in all of the that we're experiencing right now, I already see some good and I see some loss. And depending on how long it goes, I think that there's going to be more and more of that. I would say to anybody listening that, hey, adaptability is going to be key. The ability for you to to say, hey, this is what it is, and I lost something, but now this is the new reality for as long as I can see. So I might as well embrace it instead of try to fight it. What is different about these people who see life in such a way? They embrace uh, reality as it is, and they move forward. What is different? That's a great question. Sometimes it's their upbringing. There's definitely sometimes people are taught resilience, and so they've been making resilient choices, and now they are just acting on that. Sometimes it's just their outlook on life. Sometimes it's it's who you are innately. That some people are just born with this more positive disposition. But regardless of, of the reason why, ultimately comes down to the choice. That what, what do we do with what we've been given? And, and all of us are given something during this time. And all of us are, 
are leading toward being led towards this choice. And we can choose positivity. We can choose gratitude in the midst of hardship. We can choose resiliency or we cannot. And we've, we've all made those choices to some degree on a regular basis. Like, you know, there's sometimes where just going back to the workout, I could choose not to work out or I could choose to work out. And it's not a fun mm-hmm. thing to work out generally. It's not like, hey, this is, I love sweating and, and breathing hard and all of that. Mm-hmm. But right now we all have a choice. And so make the choice that you're going to look back on and say that was good. And when you fail to make that choice, pick yourself up and make the choice for the next time. It's a practice, right, Mike? Something that we need to be choosing, making better choices is a practice that we have the opportunity to go through every single moment. That's right. Yeah, and the better we get at making choices now with with smaller things really helps us in the bigger. I love that. Um, I don't know if it was a book, but the idea of make your bed every day. Yeah. Because yeah. it's a small choice to organize your life and to pick up things. And then that translates. So I, I actually make my bed every day with that thought in mind. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free? The ability to make choices. Choices about our destination. Choices about where we want to go in life. Choices about who we are and what we do. And I think in, in regardless of what even what country we live in and what position we're born into, we have some freedom. I love the story of this pastor who was in China. And, and this is at the time where communist was extremely uh, down and and restrictive. And this pastor was put in prison for, for preaching. And so something that in many countries we have freedom to do, and I can do that here if I wanted to. And, and so he's preaching and the Chinese authorities take him and put him in prison. And in prison, he he's not able to talk to anybody and he really thrived on that. So he made the choice to spend time in prayer every day to talk to God. And then he made the choice and he went to the guards and said, I see that you have to empty our refuse buckets every single day. What if I do that for you? And so he went around to the other prisoners and emptied and cleaned the refuse buckets, cleaned their places. And during that time, he took the chance to that freedom, even though he's in prison, he had the freedom to to live out what he felt was his purpose and mission in life, which is to tell other people about the God he had encountered. And I love that. It's a freedom. And all of us have that freedom. Whether we're making lots of money, we might not have the freedom to do everything we want. I don't have the freedom to own a billion-dollar yacht and to sell around the world. Um, but I have the freedom to to do so much and to make the choices on a daily basis that can get me to the goals that I have. Ultimately, every single person is free unless they choose to be. And you see this again and again by inspiring stories of Nick Vujicic, who had no limbs, yet he has the freedom to move. And he made a choice that, hey, I'm not going to be defined by what I don't have. I'm going to be defined by what I do. So he had that freedom. A lot of people are prisoners, not of circumstances necessarily or from some opposing force, but freedom, they're they're prisoner of their own mind. Viktor Frankl, he tells a story that being put in the concentration camps and and seeing people die again and again because they're they're caught. 
And yet he talks about the freedom that he discovered. And, and he writes a book called The Search for Meaning and Where We Find Meaning. So I think freedom is this choice and this realization that no matter how bad the circumstances get, there are still some things that are in my control, primarily my view of life. So how did you become a writer, Mike? You know, that was uh, purely coincidental. Uh, I thought about books for years and never really thought it was something I could do. And then I was working with a client and she talked about her book. And I said, oh, how, who published? And she said, oh, I did it on my own. And after we talked, I thought, I could do that. And so I just challenged myself to write every single day and wrote a book. And, and then I worked on it and edited it. And actually that client and I, we traded, we traded services. She helped me with the book and I helped her with public speaking. And then I just took this idea that people kept on asking me about and turned it into this book that now really has been read around the world. I get, uh, this week I got someone reach out to me from Mexico. I've had people from Middle East, from Europe, from Zambia and other places in Africa. I've had people in China reach out to me. It's been incredible to see. Uh, there's been some people who said this book is worthless and not helpful. <laughs> but other people have said, and one gentleman, he picked it up in an airport and said, this book is like the Bible to me. It's what I live on. I thought, well, that's a little bit too much, but I'm <laughs> glad it helps. So it really came out of circumstance. But now I've just realized that that having a book is taking your message and leaving a legacy to others. Mm -hmm. So now just a side service that I do with people is I help people write books and publish books. What is your experience with um, public speaking in the fear of that? Yeah. So many people, they have, they have this fear of speaking in public or presenting or selling or standing up and giving a report because of a couple different reasons. One, they fear rejection. They fear the the sense that people are not going to like what they have to say or think that they're not doing well. So it's this failure, this rejection that they're sensing. So it's not fear of actual standing up and doing it because they do that all the time. They speak all the time. It's the fear of what's going to happen when they do it. And other people, it's because of something that happened in the past that didn't go well. And so they're projecting past failures, past times of rejection onto their presence. And then other people fear just because they just don't know how. They don't know how to do it. And so if they knew how to organize their thoughts and they knew how to present it, then they would feel do good doing it. So that's really where the fear comes from. And all of those are handled in different ways. Did you have the experience yourself of the fear of speaking publicly? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple times in life, about three different ones, primarily, maybe four. When I was a kid, I, I had to do those science fairs and such. My mom worked with me, so that took away. So she presented me the know-how. And then it, it, when I was a teenager, uh, we moved to Mexico, and I was this gangly white kid and presenting to the class. And I still have friends from the season of my life. And what they would be surprised to know is how often I was just afraid to be in front because the whole class laughed at me. Because I my Spanish was awful and and it was it was weird and I was weird and I was different and they laughed and, and not knowing the trauma that that actually created in me when everybody in the class is laughing at you so there's a fear that developed there and then I projected some of that on into college when I spoke in an audience I talked about that in my book where I spoke in front of an audience and felt like the room was closing in on me and, and then when I was 26 and had some experiences in the professional world in that fear and so I really made it a goal to learn how to conquer my fear 
And, and now part of even that book that I wrote is so much about almost a pep talk. Someone wrote uh, a bad review. This is just a motivational pep talk. And I said, yeah, it is. Motivational pep talk with some actions that you can take because sometimes that's just what we need. I think there is a sense in us that negativity persists. And especially when we live in a negative culture or negative environment and what, what in the news is positive. It's mm, all negative. Right, We're right. always reading negative. True. And so I, I wrote a uh, follow-up book called Lead with No Fear. And in that book, we talk about choosing the source of news, choosing the music around you, choosing everything that's being spoken to you because we're surrounded all the time by negativity. And so we need that positivity. We need to choose all of that positivity. We need to have sources speaking into us. Talk to me for a moment about some of the seven strategies you have in your book outlined there. Uncover and clean the wound you have imagined that's kind of funny one because you want to like, why would I imagine the worst? But <laughs> this is the second one. And then love the you, be you, just be yourself, authentic. Speak to one. It is not about you. Channel the power and be in the moment. Another beautiful one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So all of these are different strategies different motivations for us to speak with no fear. I mean, you be you, be yourself, because when you're trying to be someone else, it's actually going to make it more nervous on it. And we often try to do that. We often try to be uh, the type of person that we think people want to hear instead of being ourselves. Um, uncover the wound is deal with the reasons in the past that, that are now you're projecting into your future. Channel the powers about taking that nervous energy and turning it into excitement. And really, out of these seven strategies, usually not all seven are relevant to somebody. But I ask people again and again, which one identified with you? And some people say all of them. But most people say, oh, number two and number five or three and four or just this one because it's one area that we're struggling in. Now, there are other things that you can do to speak with confidence. And I'm writing that book now called Speak with Confidence. But we first got to take off the fear, got to take off the dirty clothes of fear so that we can speak with the clean clothes of confidence. So some of the messages, uh, I really love them. They're powerful. You say, learn to control your emotions so they don't control you. This is very important. You say something like, um, also funny, uh, don't drink coffee. I know how important that is. Caffeine can affect the nervous system. So this is one. And I love smile, pause and breathe. And learn to listen. It might be one of the most profound ones. Right. And those are just very actionable items that people can do to just speak better. Remove the caffeine, which adds to nervousness. Pause. Smile. Smile. When you smile, not only does it change the people re way that people receive you, it changes the people, it changes the way you, you feel about yourself. And learn to listen. Talk to me for a moment, a brief moment about that, Mike. Yeah. If we can learn to understand what people really want to hear from us and we know that we're answering their question and we're not just speaking in the air, it gives us greater confidence in what we're saying. So I have a few more questions for you, but they are the final questions unrelated to the subject somewhat. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? You know, here's what I would say. Go into the UBU. Find out what makes you unique and bring that into your presentations. Don't try to be an imitation of what someone else is doing because you'll always be a poor imitation of someone else. 
Be a genuine real you. And the second one that I really want to highlight is think about what others are going to get from this and not what they're thinking about you. When you're thinking about you, that's a recipe. When you're thinking about you and thinking about what they're thinking about you, that's a recipe for fear. But when you go in there and think, what value am I giving to the audience? How am I helping my team? That change in perspective now puts you on uh, an empathetic route instead of this sense of dread and anxiety. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself in life as of today? Oh, man. Hard, I think realizing that I was not as awesome as I thought I was. And that at some point in time in my journey, I, I made some mistakes and I realized that, you know what? I thought I was pretty amazing. And it really humbled me. And, and it really took, took me a while to reevaluate who I was. So I would say that everybody is not as bad as they think they are. Mm-hmm. And, and and in some ways we're worse, sometimes we're <laughs> better, but really just coming down to this acceptance of who we are. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? I really try really hard to be present. So not much. In fact, I, I am spending time with my family more than working because of that reason right there. What are three things about life you know for sure as of now? I know that I believe in God above everything else. I know that what I do is less important than who I am. And I know beyond a shadow of doubt that that more than how, how to say this. I, I know that our choices matter more than anybody can possibly imagine. Thank you so much for your wisdom, your presence, your genuine presence, your generosity, your message, your mission. Thank you. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Yeah, absolutely. So mikeacker.com. You can find my work there. You can find my speaking there. And would love to connect with anybody through that. Uh, my book links are there. If you type in Mike Acker on Google, the first person that will show up is me. So I'll show up again and again and again. I kind of flood out all the Mike Ackers out there, which is uh, pretty fun. Beautiful. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much, Valeria. Bye for now, Mike. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Mike Acker and his work, please visit StepsToAdvance.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.